Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. What does the rest of the world think about the war in Ukraine? This is the State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Greg Dixon. As the war in Ukraine enters its second year, we wanted to understand what the war has meant outside of Europe and the U.S. So we gathered four of NPR's international correspondents together to discuss what effects the war has had in their regions and how the conflict is broadly viewed where they are. So here they are in conversation. West Africa correspondent Emmanuel Akinwotu, Latin America correspondent Kerry Khan, China correspondent John Ruwich, and starting off the conversation is India correspondent Lauren Freyer. So I flew into Ukraine a couple days after the war began, and I was part of the NPR team covering it. And I spent like a few weeks there. It felt like a year, but maybe it was just a couple weeks. And actually, what was more interesting for me was coming back to India and realizing that India, the world's biggest democracy, like was not on board horrified by the violence, yes, but wasn't condemning Moscow, wasn't on the same page at all. And it was so different from like what I was seeing in Ukraine and what I was hearing in the Western media. That was my takeaway, actually, from covering the war in Ukraine, was coming out of Ukraine and seeing that in Asia. And I wonder if you guys had similar experiences in Nigeria or Mexico or Brazil or China. Yeah, absolutely, um, Lauren. I felt like when the war started, I'm predominantly following it through, you know, Western media or international media, you know, Al Jazeera, the BBC. And I'm I'm obviously following this from Lagos. I'm here in Lagos. But the vibe of it and the coverage of it and the commentary on it in Nigeria was different. How? You know, there was immediately discussion about the ways in which the West had also played a part in provoking this. Exactly. You know, how does the West expect Russia to feel when NATO's border seems to be encroaching closer and closer to its own border? Mm. You know, that was something that we heard over and over again. That yes, you know, Putin, he's a madman. Oh, you can't predict what he's going to do. But the West too, NATO too, NATO expansionism, you know, so there was the kind of opinions that... (laughs) would have been very uncomfortable uh, in, in, in the UK or in the US. Carrie was like nodding her head emphatically when you were talking about the coverage. Well, it's the same in Latin America. That disconnect that you're talking, Lauren, is I feel it yeah. here all the time. You yeah. know, we, we don't get the same um, sentiment. And especially with our leaders, you know, at, at the start of the war, I was in Mexico and now I'm in Brazil and you know, uh, Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, wanted to be a peacemaker and a broker and always talks about his non-interventionist policies. And does Same with not... Prime Minister Modi. Yeah. yeah. And now in Brazil, with the return of Lula, Lula has um, said he wants to be the peace broker. He wants He wants a peace club, he's talked about, together with Modi in India. And he's traveling to China. He says he's going to go to China, John, and he's going to... Mm talk to the leaders there and convince them to broker peace with them. I don't, 
I don't know. Do you even think mm, that's possible? Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Chinese are pretty clear that this war uh, was uh, provoked by the West and the United States to weaken Russia. The stakes are really high. You know, China, first of all, sees all sort of uh, the Chinese government, I should say, sees all this kind of geopolitics through the lens of um it's all about their relations with the West and the U.S., and they feel like they're being um, encircled. They feel like they're being held down. I mean, you can look at any number of examples, the new basing agreement that the U.S. has with the Philippines. They don't like that. Uh, the m- massive uh, export controls against you know technology going to China that came in the fall. They don't like that. It's all, it's all part of the same chess game, uh, the way that China sees it. But I wonder – this is actually something – listening to you guys talk, I wonder if there's um, – if you guys are sensing any sort of tension, and maybe this is a dumb question because there's always tension, there's always, you know, people always have sort of mixed feelings about things, right? But at least in China where people are fed this steady diet of propaganda, mostly people believe the narrative, but there's also this uh, skepticism about this kind of feeling of like, yeah, but, you know, Vladimir Putin maybe shouldn't have invaded Ukraine, right? Hmm. Hmm. You know, uh, Lula just said it the other day. He was, uh, the German chancellor was just here. He was in Brazil, Argentina, and Chile, and he was trying to get them all to come to side and sell ammunition to uh, Ukraine. And all of them just said, see ya, bye. No way, there's, it's not happening. And um, Lula was pushed to, like, the Western, you know, look at his at his stance. And, and, he, and so Lula had to say, Yes, it was a mistake. That's all I would say about Putin. It was a mistake. I mean, Modi won't even say that. Like, he will, you know, he's called for a ceasefire. He's, like, condemned violence in general, but won't assign any blame. Um, And, like, part of it is just this deep anti-Western, you know, the way India sees it, it's like, Um, They remember the sort of warmongering leading up to the Iraq war that was based to U.S.-led invasion of Iraq, which was based on faulty intelligence. They remember how, like, the U.S. tried to drum up a big coalition for Afghanistan and then just pulled out of Afghanistan. Like, this is India's neighborhood, you know? So these attitudes are formed over decades and, like, they don't change. And right after India got independence from the British, it became very close with the Soviet Union, like, after Stalin died. And... um, all of India's weapons are Russian. And I I spoke with an analyst recently who was like, you know what? Indian defense experts and Indian pilots may be the only ones who are not surprised to see these Russian tanks falling apart (laughs) in Ukraine because they've had Russian weapons for years and they've been falling apart here. But the thing is, you can't when your whole arsenal and she this is she had this brilliant um, anecdote. She's like, say my whole flat is decorated in Ikea. I can't just swap out one or two dining chairs. I've got to change everything. I've got to change the whole table and all the chairs. And it's true. Like, India is locked into this Russian military equipment, and you can't just diversify quickly. It's super costly and time-consuming. And so that's I'm just like, say, you know— You can totally swap IKEA stuff out for other stuff. I just want to let you know that that's okay to do. Yeah, sure. I've done it. <laughs> At the point you made, the point you made about oil— uh, no, no, you yeah, let's point talk about, about oil. oil. But I, <laughs> you talking just now just made me think about that because I remember an interview, the Indian foreign minister. S.J. Shankar, yeah. Yeah, and he he was, I guess, being interviewed about India's position. About oil. oil, yeah. Exactly, and their position on oil. And he was like really 
kind of unequivocal like india's gonna buy russian oil no one's gonna tell us not to buy yeah and he's russian like oil. that's and my job that mm, is my job as an yeah. indian official yeah. to mm. find bar bargains for my people on the, mm. the global markets like Absolutely. how dare you and he had this maybe this was in the interview you heard or maybe he said this a couple times like he's very populist nationalist but he has a point he's like that's all well and fine when your per capita income is 60,000 euros right, a year. Right. Yeah, you can go without some Russian gas. But how dare you tell me when my people earn 2000 barely $2,000 mm. a year mm. to that I can't go for a bargain on oil when I have 6% growth this year and you have 0.5% growth? Like, well, that's exactly what Bolsonaro did here in Brazil. He just weeks before the war, he went to Russia and talked to Putin in person. And he said, look, I got to I got to protect these fertilizer imports. You know, don't stop. And and it was same because, populism because it's food. This is food in Brazil. This is this is. Yes. Sir, this is life or death. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. That interview, it, it echoed like what? you have heard either insinuated from a lot of African countries or or said outright. I feel like the, the war really kind of exposed to me in Africa these political tensions between African countries feeling like, I guess, tired about being seemingly lectured to by Western countries to fall in line in one way or another. And like India and like other countries, a lot of African countries are hugely reliant on Russian wheat, on grain, on so many commodities. And Ukrainian, for that matter. Mm. I mean, they're not, I guess, mutually exclusive. Like they, they, they rely on these things and they are, they are priority areas. Some of the reasons why Russia and China have had some success in Africa, in at least if we measure the last like, kind of like eight to 10 years compared to some Western countries is that they don't at least overtly lecture the country, countries on who they should have ties with. <laughs> right. they, they are, and they are not as concerned remotely with human rights, with any of that things that, you know, that obviously has been a major part of US foreign policy in Africa. Actually, it's just like, this issue has really exposed a lot of these tensions, is what I'm trying to say. That's so interesting. It's, it's so much more multi-layered than sort of, the, than as you were saying, that geopolitics, US versus Russia, US versus China, that type of thing, which is the, the, the way that I tend to see it mostly because I covered China, that sort of big picture, like uh, autocracies versus democracies. But this, <laughs> I mean, that, it does sound like that resonates a little bit when it comes to, hey, we're a, we're a democracy and we're going to lecture you about your autocracy and about human rights and about the way you should live your life. But to the side of that, there's these, there's, there's other stuff, there's food, there's fuel, there's national pride whatever the heck you want to call it right that 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 complicates things and that sort of yeah maybe that's where that sense of shock came from 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 the u.s side where it's like wait you're not you don't agree with us on this war <laughs> but i think that um i think it's just interesting listening to you all and and it's it all just seems very similar stories i don't know in the coming next year of the ukraine war i think in latin america it'll be like more of this pressure to to condemn, get involved, sell ammunition, you know, make up um, food stock supply chain problems. But um, it'll be interesting in Brazil to see if Lula can actually become the global leader legacy 
warrior. There's a lot of people he... lining up trying to do that. But okay, wait, are we doing a, are we doing predictions? So what's what's that prediction? Six months out, one year out? Where are we? Just like, what do you think? I don't know. What do what do you guys think the you're looking for in the next year of the Ukraine war in your in your beat? I think inflation and food prices are are a huge story in our patch, and and food insecurity is rising and all that too. But I'm just curious to see how long they can keep up this um, independence from the West. I don't know. What do you see, Emmanuel, and and your parts? Yeah, it seems like this kind of like great power competition has kicked into like a new gear um, in in Africa with like the US government, you know, kind of re-upping its engagement in African countries. And I think that broadly, inflation has been a major issue. Food, and food insecurity has been a major issue. And broadly, how countries facing these issues have reacted is not has not actually led them to either condemning Russia or not condemning Russia. It's led them to having direct talks with Russia about how to get the grain here. Mm. One thing I've also noticed here is that the war has had a major impact on inflation around the world, right? But like, there are a few countries where their populations are not giving the government the benefit of the doubt or are prepared to even listen to any excuse that the war has caused this inflation or the war has caused this economic strain. You know, like, for example, Ghana. Ghana's inflation has rocketed. And the government has said over and over again, you know, the impact of the war, the impact of the war. And broadly, the population has grown more and more fed up with the government and don't believe this has really anything to do with the war. They think it's purely their own policies and this is economic mismanagement. It's probably a little bit of both, right? Exactly. Mm. And it is, it is both. It is both. Exactly. But, but as it drags on, they won't be able to use that excuse anymore. Yeah, you exactly. hear that in Argentina. Exactly. too. There's elections this year in Argentina. How do you run for re-election at 100% inflation and say oh it's God. the Ukraine war in the second year? It's a tough one. Do your predictions, John, China. My prediction, I would say, oh man, predictions are so dangerous. I don't know if I should make a prediction. It's I would not, not prediction, be surprised. But what are you? What are you looking at? Like, what are you? What are you going to be looking for? Well, I think that I don't think this war is going to end anytime soon. I think from a Chinese perspective, first of all, the inflation stuff you guys are talking about doesn't. You know, China's been kind of immune to it in a way because their economy has been so closed off from the world. Yeah, they import, they still import a lot of uh, a lot of goods, but. As the Chinese economy, so this is totally an aside, but get ready for this. As the Chinese economy gets back on track, that's going to fuel more inflation. So keep your eyes open for that. Really? I think it will because manufacturing hasn't fully ramped up yet and Chinese consumption hasn't ramped up yet. And that's going to hoover up a lot of commodities, a lot of things from around the world. So I wouldn't be surprised if the war dragged on. I don't think China doesn't like that. I don't think China hates that. I think that's okay for China. It distracts the West. I think if there's uh, in, if there's any sort of brokering of of peace talks or a Chinese role or a role for third parties to get involved, that's going to be glacial unless there's uh, a tipping point of some kind. So not very optimistic. Interesting that you say that China actually benefits from this war continuing. The Chinese government wants the war, says they want the war to end. They want peace, right? They, mm. I think there's definitely ways in which they benefit, right? The yeah. pivot is delayed a little bit. The Ukraine's a classroom for the People's Liberation Army in a way. Not that they're there fighting, but they're learning a ton. They're probably getting good info from the Russians on, on how these systems work or don't work. That's um, fascinating. And they're paying close attention to, you know, 
things that might work for them in Taiwan. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's the same thing for India. Like, India benefits from cheap Russian oil, but overall wants the war to end, mostly because of food security and inflation. And frankly, India wants to... doesn't like being in the position where it has to keep defending Vladimir Putin. That that just kind of is like a sucky position to be in these days, where to be best buds with Vladimir Putin. Um, And India would really like that Asia pivot to finally happen. It wants the world to turn and focus on China rather than Russia. That was NPR's India correspondent, Lauren Freyer. She was joined by her colleagues on the NPR International Desk, West Africa correspondent Emmanuel Akinwotu, Latin America correspondent Kerry Khan, and China correspondent John Ruich. Thank you for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back to this feed for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message comes from NPR sponsor Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. 